So uh, this isn't our usual practice, but it's Easter Sunday, and I'm going to invite you to stand for the reading of uh, God's Word, his story to us. Uh, We know that there are differences between men and women. Uh, We know that if Laura, Susie, Millie and Frida go out for lunch, they'll call each other Laura, Susie, Millie and Frida, but if Mike, David, Tim and James go out, they'll affectionately refer to each other as Fat Boy, Godzilla, Peanut Head and Scrappy. And when the women get the bill... They will put in. Um, they will get the, cu- the uh, their pocket bag calculators out to do the calculations exactly. Whilst the men will just lob in a twenty pound note each, when, even though the bill comes to thirty two pounds, because they won't have anything smaller and they won't want to admit that they want change. <laughs> we know that men will pay two pounds for a one pound item that they don't want, and that a woman will pay one pound for an item that uh, she doesn't want. We know that in a, in a bathroom, a man will have six items that he can identify. A toothbrush, shaving cream, razor, a bar of soap and a towel stolen from the Holiday Inn. And the average number of items in the typical woman's bathroom is 337. And a man wouldn't be able to identify or name most of them. And we know that when men go to sleep at night, they wake up looking the next morning looking just as good as they did the night before. And that somehow we women deteriorate overnight. <laughs> And we know, according to Sheryl Sandberg of Facebook, that women tend to underestimate their achievements and their gifts and their accomplishments, while men tend to exaggerate them. And a man wrote the story, uh, the account of Jesus rising from the dead that we're about to read. And, I, you know, it's a beautifully humanly written story. And uh, it's, it's just a bit of fun, really. But, but notice the human elements to the story, as well as the wonderful biblical truths. So I'm going to read from John ch- chapter 20, verses 1 to 18. It's the story of that first morning. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one that Jesus loved. Note, he's the one writing the story. (laughs) And she said, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of the linen lying there, but he didn't go in. And then Simon Peter came along behind him, and he went straight into the tomb, and he saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, by the way, he'd reached the tomb first in case you've all forgotten. He also went inside the tomb and he saw and he believed. They still didn't understand from scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and she saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Well, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Don't hold on to me, 
for I've not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and to your God. So Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I've seen the Lord! And she told them that he'd said these things to her. So have a seat. I think the human elements of the way the stories in the Bible are told are just extra little ingredients that make them so real. You know, you wouldn't make up stories like this or tell them in this way uh, if you wanted them to be believed and they weren't true. Okay, so I know that Christmas morning is quiz morning, but, you know, it's Easter and not to sort of, you know, in the spirit of consistency, I thought we'd have a quick quiz moment this morning. So have a look at this slide that's going to come up now. And I wonder if you can identify what these eight things people have got in common. So we've got the mini, Robert Downey Jr., Strictly Come Dancing, Tiger Woods, James Cracknell, Take That, Lance Armstrong, and the vinyl record. Any guesses? Comebacks. Well done. Correct. Each of these people at some point, or things at some point in time, have made a significant comeback. Any of you are, uh, if any of you are golfing fans in here, I don't know how many golfing fans we've got in here, but of course the Masters, you know uh, my family, my husband Tim and my, my three boys in particular, are absolute fans of the Masters. And uh, the TV was on last Sunday evening in our, well actually all last weekend in our home. And... and <laughs> I wasn't watching it. And uh, WhatsApp was buzzing with all the comments, you know, about what was going on. And uh, you will know that Tiger Woods had uh, the most phenomenal comeback and won the Masters. But, and it's been claimed in the media this week that to be one of the greatest uh, sporting comebacks of all time. Uh, For those of you that don't know, about 10 years ago, he absolutely tanked. His uh, personal life tanked. He was absolutely surrounded in scandal that that became exposed in the public domain. He lost a whole load of uh, sponsorship deals. Uh, It was then followed, his his journey, he was then... um, ended up with some horrendous back surgery and back issues that put him out of action and ended up being um, arrested and and, uh, sued with criminal charges for for drug uh, or driving under the influence of drugs. And uh, his golf tanked too at the same time. And two years ago, he was in so much pain he could barely walk. And nobody anticipated that he would ever play golf to this level again. In fact, two years ago, he wasn't even in the top 1,000 golfers in the world. So big had his fall been. And not surprisingly, therefore, this kind of moment of momentous victory that was celebrated last Sunday evening and has been spoken about a lot in the press this week, uh, it's, it's been described as this incredible comeback and it's captured the imagination of many people because we love a good comeback story, don't we? Yeah, we love a good comeback story. Uh, I don't know how many of us here will be hoping for a comeback from Andy Murray Uh, later on this year, or yes, quite a few of us. Interestingly, uh, he put on his Instagram page this week that he'd he'd played his first round of golf in six years with no pain this week, and his mother, Judy, had uh, responded to him questioning whether it was Tiger Woods' comeback that had inspired him to go out and play. And I think that's something... Uh, you know, powerful about comeback stories, isn't it? They inspire us and they give us hope for our own comebacks as well. Somebody else's comeback story offers us hope, doesn't it, for our own comeback. Somebody else's story of a turnaround or of a breakthrough or of a change in circumstances or an experience of an against-the-odds outcome holds within it 
it's pregnant with the suggestion that that too can happen for us, that there might be some kind of turnaround scenario available to us, whether it's a sporting comeback story, whether it's a story of a recovery from an incredible um, sickness or injury, whether it's a story of a marriage being turned around or a business coming back to life and being resurrected, whatever. Comeback stories make us or give us hope that the impossible can happen in our lives too that we can have a comeback story too. God is the God of the comeback. God is the God of the comeback. That's what we're celebrating today. We're celebrating the greatest comeback story of all time. That's the message of Easter. To come back from the golfing graveyard is one thing. To come back from the real grave, that's a whole new league of comeback. It's a whole new level of comeback. Look at verse 9. They didn't get the fact, John says, the one who arrived at the tomb first, the one who Jesus loved the most, they didn't get the fact that Jesus was going to rise from the dead. Why would they? No one had ever come back from the dead on their own. Yes, there were the odd stories in the Old Testament of prophets bringing people back from the dead. Jesus called Lazarus out of his tomb and raised a dead boy. But in all those scenarios, there was a living person with real-life prayers and real-life faith contending for the life of the person that had died. Nobody had ever come back from the dead on their own, with no one else praying for them and no one else believing for it. No wonder Mary didn't recognise him. No wonder the disciples didn't, you know understand what was going on. No wonder when Jesus appeared to his disciples for the first time, he had to calm them down because they were so shocked to see him again. They'd watched him die on a cross. They didn't expect to see him living, breathing, smiling, you know, looking better than he'd ever been before, looking more alive than he'd looked before he died, even though they could see the scars in his hands. No wonder his previously desolate friends managed to turn the world upside down. Such is the power of his comeback. They witnessed the greatest comeback of all. God is the God of the comeback. He's the God of the comeback for individuals. He's the God of the comeback for churches. In Sri Lanka, he's the God of the comeback for communities. He's the God of comeback for nations. And the Bible is full of unexpected comeback stories. This, of course, the story of Jesus' comeback being the most significant of all. But the reason the stories in the Bible are not so that we can be educated with historical facts. The reason the stories are there are to teach us about the heart and the nature of God. That's what the stories are there for, to teach us about the nature of God. He's the same God yesterday, today, and forever. And he's the God of the comeback. Jesus calls us into a life of comeback. So if you're here this morning and you're longing to experience something better than you're experiencing right now, if you're in some kind of dead-end place where life isn't kind of happening in the way that you'd hoped it would happen, if you're here and you feel like you need a fresh start or you need a turnaround in your circumstances or you need a reversal of your fortunes in some way, or if you feel that you need faith 
to believe for a turnaround or a breakthrough in the circumstances of somebody that you love, or you need confidence to believe that God wants to work for and bring change, dramatic change in the life of somebody that you're praying for or somebody that you know, then let the truth of this familiar story pierce your heart again this morning. Because God is a God of the comeback. And the message of this passage that we are celebrating, or this story that we're celebrating today, that we've read in this passage, is that endings are never final. Endings are never final. And we need to hear, I don't know about you, but I need to hear that over and over again. That endings are never final. So maybe you are struggling to overcome some kind of addiction or break free from some kind of sin and you've been trying and you've been wrestling and you're just out of hope. Your hope has come to an end. Maybe you're in a dead-end place and you're waiting for a door to open and that door just doesn't feel like it's ever going to open. Maybe you're standing at the graveyard of a relationship. Maybe you're standing at the graveyard of a dream. Maybe you're fresh out of passion or purpose or direction, and that all feels like it's come to an end in your life. Maybe you're standing in the midst of tragedy in a, in a scenario in your, in, your, in your life, in your family, or whatever, in, your, in a workplace, in a community. Maybe you're facing a kind of your own kind of failure in some way, and you're sort of weighed down with shame, and you're thinking and you're feeling like there's just no way forward, there's no way on from this place. Maybe you're here and you feel like you've blown it with God. Maybe you feel like you're fresh out of strength and energy and the ability and the motivation just to keep going. You feel like you've come to the end of yourself. The truth of Easter Sunday, what we're celebrating this morning, is that endings are never final. God is the God of the comeback. What could be more final than physical death? There is nothing more final, is there, than physical death. And the ultimate statistic is that 100% of us in this room, we are going to die. I know that's not cheery news on Easter Sunday morning, but it is the truth. It's the ultimate ending. And until this Easter Sunday, as I've said, there was no comeback from death. Nobody came out of tombs alive. You went into a tomb dead and you stayed in the tomb dead. And sadly, too many people still think that that's true today. But the truth of Easter Sunday morning is that Jesus has overturned the ultimate ending. Jesus has overturned the ultimate ending. And what his comeback means is that the grave, the ultimate sort of ending, as it were, is no longer final. All kinds of people have all kinds of things to say about what is going to happen beyond the grave, where we're going to go, what it's going to be like, how we get there, whatever. Maybe you do too. I know it's not the kind of stuff of dinner party conversations and coffee shop chats, you know. Maybe talking about death is the ultimate taboo. I don't know. But it doesn't matter how much money is pumped into the NHS from here on in, we are all going to die. And all kinds of people have got all kinds of things to say about what happens next. I don't know if any of you remember Kurt Cobain, the lead singer of Nirvana. He said this, If you die, you're completely happy and your soul somewhere lives on. I'm not afraid of dying. Total peace after death. Becoming someone else is the best hope I've got. I think there's something a bit sad, actually, wrapped up in that that last phrase. He took his life a number of years ago. Darwin 
said this, as for future life, every man must judge for himself between conflicting vague probabilities. It's not very cheery, is it? Nietzsche, the German philosopher, said this, the kingdom of heaven is a condition of the heart, not something that comes across, uh, comes upon the earth or after death. And Stephen Hawking, who died fairly recently, amazing scientist, said this, I regard the brain as a computer which will stop working when its components fail. There's no heaven or afterlife for broken down computers. That's a fairy story for people afraid of the dark. Jesus says something rather different. He says this, If you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ever gone to heaven and returned. But the Son of Man has come down from heaven. And then he said, whoever believes in me, in him, may not be lost, but have eternal life. I don't know about you, but if I want to know about what goes on beyond the grave, I want to hear it from someone that's been there. Jesus said, I've come from heaven, and I'm the only way to heaven, and I'm I'm the door. I'm the only way you get there. And no one is able to come to God the Father. No one is able to get there apart from through me. And to prove it, I'm going to let the religious people and the people who are against me, I'm going to let them kill me. I'm going to let them nail me to the cross. I'm going to die to remove every obstacle that stands between mankind and God. And then I'm going to rise again. I'm going to come back to prove that everything else I've said is true. Now, I don't know whether the thought of heaven excites you. I don't know if anybody here gets excited when you hear about heaven. I think the media portrays heaven as this rather boring, dull place, you know, with clouds. We're all going to sprout wings and play little harps and, you know, not much goes on and maybe there's going to be endless singing. And I think, I think we can end up falling for the lie, particularly by what our culture says, uh, for those who talk about it, that it's going to be some eternal place of boredom. Jesus said exactly the opposite. He said exactly the opposite. He said it's going to be like a party, like a feast, like the best place you've ever been to with the best experiences or better than you've ever had. A place of colour and joy and no pain and vibrant, vibrant life, incredible beauty. It is going to be amazing. It is going to be astounding. It is going to take our breath away. In fact, he says that it's better than we could ever imagine. But he also says this about heaven. And it's a promise that we don't get terribly enthusiastic about. He says that heaven is not for everybody. He says that heaven is not for everybody. It's God's home. Heaven is God's home and the only way into God's home when we die is if we have a friendship with his son Jesus. So when we die, God is going to say to each one of us, what did you do with my amazing son? What did you do with him? Did you trust him? Did you love him? Did you follow him? Did you obey him? Did you listen to him? Did you follow him? Did you let him love you? He's going to ask us that. And it's not going to matter how rich we were when we were down here, how successful we were, how many followers we had on social media, how much influence we had. None of that stuff is going to matter. He's merely going to say, we are friends with my son. We are friends with my son. And if you're friends with my son, come and live with me and my son right now. And when he he asks that question, he isn't talking about being a kind of Facebook friend where you kind of click the offer, accept, and then you're just on this list of acquaintances, but there's no real relationship there. 
He's talking about having a relationship with his son as a friend. But here's the good news. The good news is that that offer of friendship is open to anyone. If you're living and you're breathing, it's an offer for you and for me. It's an offer for everyone. And there are no conditions attached to that offer of friendship except a willingness to recognize, I don't deserve to be his friend. I need to be forgiven for the stuff that's got in between us as friends up to this point in time. And I need to let him lead me and I need to follow him if I'm going to be his friend. It's an offer that's open to everyone. Jesus' comeback is the pillar of the Christian faith. The story doesn't end with Good Friday on the cross. He has turned the ultimate full stop of death into a comma, a comma between here and the next world. He's defeated the ultimate ending. And because he's alive again, because God demonstrated the power to bring him back from the dead and to fulfill his most ridiculously impossible promise, what it means is that he has power to fulfill every other promise that he has made to us. He has demonstrated that he has the power to fulfill every promise that he's made for us, and that includes being able to bring about a comeback for each and every one of us from whatever situation we find ourselves in, from whatever life throws at us. Imagine, I have four amazing children and a fantastic son-in-law. Imagine if I'd given them all or if I gave them all for their next uh, birthday, a birthday card in it with a little note that said, I promise to buy you a Lamborghini. They'd be chuffed to bits. Not. I think as they opened the card, that little piece of paper would be greeted with some probably a bit of sarcastic banter at best, and maybe some cynicism uh, that went with it. And the, the, that little promise would make its way into the bin pretty quickly. Why? Not because I don't love them, but because I'm married to a vicar. <laughs> and hey-ho, don't have the power to deliver on those promises. I love them, but I couldn't deliver. And in bringing Jesus back from the dead, God has proved that he has power to deliver on every promise. Jesus' comeback demonstrates that he has the power to bring us back, to bring back, bring us back into life, bring us back from any scenario that we find ourselves in because he's done the hardest thing of all. Think about it for a moment. Jesus sets up this Easter morning scenario very deliberately and intentionally. He sets it up so that these Olympic runners or an Olympic runner and his mate, who got there a bit later than him. He sets it up that these Olympic runners have to get in, they have to go and stand in the tomb. Did you notice that? They had to go and stand in the tomb. Imagine if he'd met them along the road. He could have, couldn't he? He could have gone and found them before they set off, or he could have met them along the road as they were running to the tomb. But if he had, they'd never have made it and stood in that place that represented loss and disappointment and failure and confusion and disillusionment and a shattering of dreams and actually the crushing of the future that they felt that they had with Jesus. They'd never have stood in that place if he'd met them along the road. The tomb is the place that we stand 
when our dreams have tanked. The tomb is the place that we stand when we're facing a situation that is just too big or too unlikely or too impossible for us to do anything around or to turn around ourselves. When you feel like you're in a place where you're trapped, where there's not much hope for anything changing, where there's no way out, that's what a tomb feels like. And Jesus let those boys, his mates, stand in the tomb because the tomb is the place that he turns into a testimony. Jesus loves turning tombs into testimonies. And the tomb is the place where the testimony begins. Their testimony, their story of what God had done began and it's made, it in, it made its way into the book. It began in this tomb. And if you need some kind of comeback, you know, this Easter from disappointment, from disillusionment, from shattered dreams, from a place you've got to in your marriage that feels like there's no way out from it. If you need some kind of comeback from a scenario that looks like it is an ending, it's terminal, hear this today. God isn't finished with you yet. God is not finished with you. There's a comeback that he's working out for you because Jesus walked out of a tomb 2,000 years ago. It may not feel like that. It may not feel like that right now as you survey the landscape of your life. It may feel like actually nothing's happening. I'm not a very good gardener. And one of the reasons I'm not a very good gardener is because I'm really impatient. And I used to try and grow things from seed. I've given up doing that now. And when I planted seeds, you know, in little pots on windowsills or in my garden, I'd look at, I'd, you know, go back each day and there was nothing happening. And then sometimes I'd dug them up to see if anything was happening because if I, you know, to see if I'd planted some, some stupid or broken or faulty seeds. And of course I discovered that the little seeds had begun to crack and something, you know, new life had begun to emerge from it, but I just couldn't see it above the surface of the soil. When it looks like nothing is happening, With God, there's always something happening. But something often looks like nothing. And when God is doing something in your life and in my life, it often looks like he's doing nothing. Imagine what it would have been like for Mary and Peter and the Olympic runner as they went to bed on Friday night and as they got up on Saturday morning and as they had lunch together on Saturday and as they went to bed on Saturday evening and then as they got up again on Sunday morning, facing a future without their friend, Jesus. There was nothing to suggest that God was at work performing and bringing about the greatest comeback in all of history. I mean, let's just think about it at the moment, for a moment. It was the greatest comeback in all of history that has changed the face of this world and there was nothing to suggest that it was going on, that God was at work bringing it about when God is at work in your life and in my life, something is always happening, but it often looks like nothing. Now, let's just acknowledge here, Jesus' comeback only took three days. Okay, he got the microwave comeback. <laughs> I think it's important to acknowledge that comebacks, when God's at work for a comeback in our lives, you know, in, any, in the different kind of ways that we need them, it often takes longer than that. Sometimes it takes days, but sometimes it takes months, and sometimes it takes years. For Joseph, it was 12 years. And maybe for you, or for someone you know, or someone you're praying for, or someone that you love, 
Maybe they've been in a challenging, maybe you've been in a challenging or a difficult season for longer than you would have liked to have been. And the fact that you've been there for so long leads you to conclude that God isn't very doing, doing very much and that a comeback is about as likely for you in your scenario as it was for Tiger Woods two years ago. But God is always at work. Paul says that he is at work in all things for the good of those who love him. And God even works in tombs. Tombs are where comebacks so often be, begin. He's always at work, weaving your current circumstances, weaving your prayers, weaving what's going on in your life to bring about and to work towards a turnaround that is for your good and for his glory. Don't let the enemy tell you that you, if your, circum, your circumstances would look different if God was at work in your life. It's a lie. God is always at work in the deepest and darkest places. When Jesus said on the cross on Good Friday, it is finished, do you know what? He didn't say, I am finished. He said, it is finished, but he wasn't finished. God is all about comebacks, from death to life, from weeping to, to, to joy, from mourning to dancing, from captivity to freedom, from ashes to beauty, from failure to forgiveness. God is all about comebacks. He wants to bring us from darkness into light, from purposelessness to purposefulness, from pain to healing, from the second chance to third chance to fourth chance to fifth chance to sixth chance to 77th chance. He never stops restoring. He never stops healing. He never stops working for your good and for my good. Last thing. Jesus said something very significant as he was dying on the way. Well, he said lots of things that were very significant as he was dying on the cross on that Friday. But something that I think is really relevant to his comeback. And he said this just before he died. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Luke 23, 46. He said, Father, into my hands, I, into your hands I commit my spirit. He put his life into God's capable hands. He put his life into the hands that flung stars into space. That statement is a kind of ultimate declaration, isn't it? God Father, I trust you. I trust you that you're going to bring about a comeback for me when I can't bring about a comeback for myself. Any comeback, any return from despair, from disillusionment, from sadness, from shattered dreams, from broken places, from failure, from job chaos and carnage, from relational breakdown, any comeback, any turnabout, any, any breakthrough that we need, it always begins with God. It always begins with God. Unlike Tiger Woods, we don't need to do a whole load of hard work to make it happen. We don't need to climb ladders into heaven or into God's good books or to that place where he'll finally reward us with a comeback. We don't even have to be in the right place at the right time. Our lives and our hearts just need to be in the right place. And we are always in the best place for a comeback of whatever sort that we need when we put our lives and our hearts into God's hands. That's what Jesus did on the cross when he said, I, into your hands I commit my spirit. 
because he knew that God had the power to bring him back. He knew that God had the desire to bring him back. He knew that God was the God of the comeback. And if we're going to see the comebacks that we long to see in our lives, we need to do the same too, to make sure our lives and our hearts are in his hands. So why don't we stand? If you're a a visitor here this morning, we hope you've enjoyed your time with us. We tend to end our our times together, our celebrations, in in a sort of slightly fluid, messy way. We don't make any apology for that. And uh, we don't have to collect kids for a few moments. There'll be coffee to drink over the road in a bit. But we've got some time just to just give God, again, in, a, in, a, in, in these kind of remaining moments, our hearts and our lives to invite him to do what only he can do. And to invite him to do what only uh, he wants to do. So I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. And we're just going to pray. While we've got our eyes closed, I just... Andrew mentioned this earlier. I just want to give any of us in here this morning who, who want to give, uh, who want to take this opportunity, seize this moment, to seal the deal on a friendship with Jesus. If that's something that you haven't done before, maybe you've been thinking about it, maybe you, it's something that you've thought you'd get round to one day and actually you've never yet got round to it, If you're here this morning and you know that he's inviting you into that place of friendship with him, I just want to give you the opportunity to do that now in the quiet as we stand here. I'm just going to pray a really short prayer. And if that's you, if you want to just, as I said, seal the deal on a friendship with him, just take this moment to repeat what I'm going to pray in your heart after me. It's not a magic formula. It's just a moment of response and recognition of of who he is and the relationship that's on offer. So if that's you, just pray this prayer in your heart after me. Lord Jesus, I come to you now. Thank you for your offer of friendship. I want to accept that offer of friendship today. I thank you that you forgive me for my sin and for all that has stood between us up until this point in time. I receive your forgiveness and I want to learn to live in your love. Please help me to do that by your Holy Spirit. Thank you that you love me. Thank you that you died for me. 
Thank you that you came back to give me life. Lead me into that life. Amen. And let's just remain in that place of, place of prayer. And I want to encourage you that if you're here this morning and you've prayed that prayer, I want to encourage you to come down to the front in a moment and, and come and talk to one of us and we'd love to pray for you. Jesus encourages us to take all kinds of, of challenging steps that lead us into the life that we want. And actually it's really important that at the beginning of that friendship and of that journey that we're able to take some simple steps from where we're sitting today down to the, to the front down here. There'll be lots of other people. And just come and find either myself or Andrew or Tim or Mike. And we will give you um, a booklet or Gareth over here, a booklet and pray with you because um, Jesus wants us to pray with you and bless you in the decision that you've made as you move forward from this moment. But let's just hold that place of prayer. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come into all of our hearts in a fresh way this morning. We are longing for more of the life that you offer. We are longing for more of the power that you offer to enable us to live the life that you've called us to. Lord, we want to live lives of comeback. Lord, we want to, to experience your power, bringing us back from those places of emptiness, of turmoil, of chaos, of trouble, of pain, of breakdown, of depression, Lord, whatever it is, thank you that you, your resurrection power is available to us all today. And we say, come and fill us again, Holy Spirit, with that power and lead us into life in its fullness. And Lord, stir up in us again this morning the faith to believe for comeback for those around us, for those for whom we pray for, for those whom we live and work amongst. Lord, we're meant to be a people that carry your hope for life in its fullness within us. Stir up our faith again this morning, Holy Spirit. Now what I believe the Lord wants us to do this morning, I, I, if you're here and you know that you need or you're longing for some kind of comeback of some sort, we want to pray for you. And I'm going to invite you in a moment to come down to the front. And we're going to pray for you as a body. And for those of us that don't need that, I want to encourage you to come and pray with faith for other people to experience the comeback that they need and they're longing for. Maybe it's a breakthrough in, a, in an external scenario, a, a marriage, a relationship, a family relationship, a job scenario. Maybe it's a breakthrough in your heart that you're longing for. But the God of the comeback is here this morning and he wants to minister to his power to us. So if you want to begin to make your way down to the front, just come down, just begin to make your way down. If you need any kind of breakthrough, we want to pray for you this morning. That's right, just come right down. And if those of you that can pray can begin to make your way down here as well. I also sense that if you're here and you're praying for somebody or you're longing for somebody that you know or love, to experience the power of God to bring about a comeback in their life, I want you to come down to the front and almost stand in the gap for them and we can pray for you and God will minister to you on behalf of them. If you're here and you need prayer for healing, 
You need a miracle in your body. Again, I want to invite you to come down to the front. Just make your way down. If you need some kind of physical touch from God, again, come right down to the front. If, you could, if, if we could have some people to come and pray. That's right, just make your way down. Come right down. And then the rest of us, I don't want you to switch off this morning. We're, the, we're a family together. I want to invite us, the rest of us to stand and we're going to return to worship our God of the comeback. And as we worship, let's declare in faith what we've been talking about and singing about this morning. Let's declare our confidence that God is able to do what He, is, he has promised over our brothers and sisters and in their lives and hearts as they stand here this morning. So why don't you stand? If we could have some more people to come down the front to pray, that would be great. If you're waiting for prayer, just hold on and somebody will get to you. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. So why don't we stand and we're going to sing.